everybody, it's Jared Goff here from Miss You Scotland with another We Are Mission podcast and I'm delighted to be joined by Father Pat McCallion from the St. Patrick's Missionary Society, also known as the Cotegan Fathers. Father Pat, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So, Father, if we could just start by getting you to tell us a wee bit about yourself, a wee bit about your background. Okay, well, Father Patrick McCallion, as you said in the introduction, and uh you might tell from my accent that I'm not uh, from Scotland, but uh, I'm a Dublin man. Uh, my parents came from the north of Ireland, and that's where the McCallion name comes from, a small village, Stein Mills, County Tyrone. And um, I suppose uh, I'm from a large family. Um, there was 11 children in the family, and... Um, yeah, I suppose like a lot of people uh, in that time. Um, I was born in 1960, so you can do the maths. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, we ev- everybody was in the same boat, and uh, every so, but community was uh, probably one of the standout memories I have of growing up. That uh, we had a neighbourhood, we had a community, we had uh, aunts and uncles, and everybody seemed to be the same situation and. Uh, it was happy days. Mm-hmm. And and wh- what did your mum and dad do for all of them? Well, my father was in the Irish Army and uh, my mother was uh, a, a housewife and a mother. And, uh, you know, in, in those days, uh, that's what... Um, yeah, she was there at home all the time for mm-hmm. us. Um, however, unfortunately, my mother died young. She was killed in an accident, um, and she was only forty-seven. And you know, a large family left behind. So that has a huge impact in, 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 in my life, obviously. Um, and that's forty-five years ago now. So, uh, without going too much into it, like that will that that will always have um, be huge, you know. Um, shock mm-hmm. uh, that to the DNA that it stays there mm-hmm. you know what, what age were you when she mm-hmm. passed what age were you when she passed 18 18 yeah, yeah. and you know and I, I, I listen I had thought about I only done finished my school that leaving cert that year and I had thought about maybe going um, into the priesthood uh, then but uh, with that tragedy there was no way was I going to entertained the thought um and then i was needed at home and uh to be there for the younger ones um and i just decided then uh no i just went out to get a job and i worked for a number of years as a salaries and wages officer in a large hospital in dublin mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then uh, one of my mother's wishes, she had only just come back from Lourdes before she was tragically killed, Like, um, was that we would all at some stage in our life get a chance to visit Lourdes. So I fulfilled that chance, that wish. Uh, and then it was really there, I suppose, the whole idea of vocation to the priesthood um, came, start creeping back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and that's where the journey for vocations to... Uh, to the priesthood came mm-hmm. into a play. Could you expand a bit on that? So, what was what was special about about Lourdes that kind of triggered that when you'd kind of maybe let it slip a wee bit? Well, I suppose it was just it. Uh, you know, 
maybe as I said, like the tragedy of my mother's death had played a huge impact in my life mm-hmm. up to this day in, in many ways still. But however, in the early days, like being you were, um, there was something about fulfilling uh, her wish and uh, walking uh, in her footsteps in one sense mm-hmm. uh, and experiencing something that she uh, seemed to experience when she and brought home when she came home. But I think it was just, uh, I went there as a, a helper um, and the it was, yeah, it was just being in part of as I say, community, I feel, is a huge aspect uh, of nurturing and support in anyone's life. And, you know, when you go to Lourdes, you're, you're, you're in the middle of a huge community of people uh, who are there for different reasons, um, but by and large are there for their faith as well. And, um, you know, you, you, that, you feel that support and you get that support. So... Um, it opened up, it, as I said, it was kind of uh, the, the seeds of that vocation to priesthood began to kind of germinate, if you like. Uh, it was, uh, you know, and it, 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 it opened up the seed a bit. Um, and just a very, very special place to me to this day. Uh, just to feel, to go to a place and uh, feel that this is sacred ground and um, the people who come from all over the world and numbers and everything create that sacredness. Uh, and um, it just feels, just, yeah, just very nurturing. Uh, like any pilgrimage, I suppose, but um, it's everyone's there for the same reason or similar reasons, whatever. Mm. So, um you decide to follow your vocation. Um, did you have any? Was there any surprises along the way? Then that you found quite surprising about when you'd made the decision. About well, no, I think I think I was just trying to discern whether I was going to go for uh, the diocesan or whether I was going to go for missionary. And mm-hmm. I remember speaking to uh, a priest in the Archdiocese of Dublin um, at the time and. You know, he had said to me about, you know, like Dublin is as much a mission as anywhere else. Like it's a big uh, archdiocese and there's all these uh, places and issues and whatever. And uh, and I remember just in briefly, like, I mean, thinking what he said and felt, yeah, I suppose uh, he's probably right. And like the big thing for me about was I ready to kind of go look to go on the missions Um with the tragedy that unfolded in for the family and uh, and and leave the younger ones and even though there were older ones uh, there to take care of them too, but yet that sense of responsibility that kind of fell your way you, you were holding on to it too and um, so when it came to I remember going to a vocation weekend in uh, Clonliffe College in in and. Uh, the Archdiocese of Dublin and uh, it was like kind of like a you know a, a place where various different um, orders and uh, had their stall as if you like and that's where um, I went there and so the, there, was, there was various missionary groups there and um, 
they were, uh, it was a residential for the weekend, and so you were kind of able to meet people and chat to people, and it was very, it was a, it was a very good workshop, um, and I was would have spoken to various uh, different or, uh, orders. And that's where I met uh, Father Richard Griffin from the St. Patrick's Missionary Society, the Clitigan Fathers, and I got chatting with him. And then I uh, was invited to come down to Clitigan for a weekend uh, and uh, see for myself. And uh, I took him up on that offer and I went down to Clitigan. And um, so I'm saying basically that workshop opened up to, like the, the missionary aspect of my vocation um, was kind of back on track again and um, going to the foreign missions as opposed to staying at home uh, in the Dublin mission and um, I went down to Kiltegan uh, in Wicklow and um, yeah I, 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 I can honestly say I fell in love with it straight away and not so much just the fact that it was Wicklow and scenery and like that. There was something about um, it didn't feel institutional. One of the big things I think I was kind of, you know, was the, some of the big old buildings and you kind of, you, you felt like, uh, you know, you were going into an institution. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was something open and fresh about going down into the Wicklow Hills but also the building, everything was fresh. Everything, no, and 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 meeting, meeting the other students there, and um, it was also um, natural and uh, ordinary, mm. ordinary. Um, and I think that attracted me to Kiltegan. Um and then I began to pursue. Okay looked into the, the process and see uh, where we go from here. And yeah, like it happened then and I ended up uh, only in, like it was in September 1982, joining uh, the Spiritual Year in Kiltegan. Um And it was a journey. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wouldn't have, I would never, I have no problem saying this, see myself as an academic. <laughs> and you know, that, uh, institutional look was what I, you know, I, w I was afraid I was being asked, uh, expect there was too much expectation then on the academics if, if it was institutional. But <coughs> listen, Kiltegan was fine. And I do remember, um, you know, when I went to study philosophy, I did my spiritual year in Kiltegan, uh, and that was a great bonding again of community. And um, then I did uh, two years philosophy in. Uh, Douglas and Cork uh, before moving back up to Kiltegan to do uh, theology. But when I went to um, Douglas and Cork for philosophy, I was remember speaking to the rector there at the time because uh, here we were going into another a topic and you know, I suppose we if 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 we process something at all, I suppose we are philosophizing. Mm. However, I wouldn't have really even recognised that as as what was happening but when it came I remember asking him who sets the standard here me or you because I think if he had said 
he he more well, his answer he answered right he answered me correct but he said well you of course and I said that's fine I'll stay so um, because I just said this thing gosh like I mean if this is going back to education days again and passing exams I don't know if I have to the head to do this um, so no and it was it it made sense to me in 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 going through the whole system that um you know you're doing it not because someone told you to do it because you want to do it and you know you 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 kind of learn and retain stuff that sticks um and uh you know and of course like if you're serious at all about it that will show up in uh not so much in your grades but in but in the assessments that mm -hmm. goes on so yeah um so yeah but i mean i did s basically seven years until i was ordained in 1989 and um they were ch they were great years but they were challenging years too because mm -hmm. i was all the time preparing myself for going on the foreign missions and uh, i was very close to my family and uh you know i can I can vividly remember the day I was ordained a deacon and just walking into um, the, the the chapel for the ceremony and saying, okay, Lord, it's in your hands now. Mm -hmm. And leaving it that way, like, and that's the way I've carried on. And and that's a, that's a point, I guess, that um, obviously starts when you're a seminary but continues throughout your life. Like, you need to draw strength from somewhere. Where do you draw strength from? Um, I suppose I draw strength from the fact that I always believe, like, uh, the Lord is not going to ask me to do something I'm not capable of doing, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, I was appointed to Malawi mm -hmm. in Central Africa, and um, in 1989, uh, you know, we didn't have Google Maps or anything like that, I had to pull out an, ap an atlas, to see where is Malawi, uh, we ha I hadn't. I knew it missions there. I'd heard of it, but didn't know where exactly it was. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, again, going out there, it was like as I said when I was being when I was ordained a deacon. You know, it's it's about kind of putting your hand out and saying right, uh, grabbing hold to the Lord's hand and walking to and knowing that you're walking together and. Um, it's it's about i suppose um knowing that you're you know you have the support and love of family and friends uh no matter where you are and uh even though you might not see them every day or anything like that you know they're there and that's the same principle we say about god like we know god is there i mean and uh, it's allowing that kind of flow over into your daily life. Mm. Uh, that all sounds very nice and, every, and it doesn't always, like you, you come across situations where um, your mind uh, races and you're not focused as you might, sh as you should be. But yet when you do rein yourself in a bit, you can kind of, um, there's a foundation obviously has been built up and I know on this stage of my life I mean that's foundation 
has been test tried and tested and fairly solid. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it would be the 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 love and support uh, and family and neighbours and friends um, that uh, help you through it. And as somebody who has discerned their vocation, um, what does the term vocation mean to you in its broadest sense? Well, at this stage of my life, it is it has broadened out. I mean, uh, when I was growing up, vocation seemed to be about um, religious life. Uh, it seemed to be about um, professional um, life, like whether it be, you know... <coughs> uh, nursing or, or, or uh, in the medical field or in the uh, economics like there was but yet at the same time it seemed to be something uh, when we were growing up about um, dedicating your life uh, at the service of others and your award was uh, not monetary, mm -hmm. it would be the mm -hmm. way, I would, and I, I'm, I'm saying that now from a, from uh, a, a more mature mind, I suppose. <laughs> but I know, like very early on, like in my own formation, and that that um, yeah, well, that whole idea of vocation kind of expanded, like to mean meaning, you know, that we all have a vocation, uh, and our baptism. Um, and you know the gift of the Holy Spirit, like it, that we have. Everybody has something to offer, mm -hmm. no matter who they are, no matter what they, you know. And I and and so I see that as vocation, and I see then, you know, uh, family life as vocation. I see um, what parents do for their children as vocations. Um, so for for me now. Vocation is very, very broad and yet um, very, very important in uh, harvesting from the different aspects uh, of uh, vocations and gifts and talents that's there. It's not everybody. No, it's, it doesn't. Nobody has any has a monopoly on those gifts and talents, and therefore, vocation is very broad. Sure. It, it sounds like you've, you you came from a very traditional Catholic family, very faith-filled and things <coughs> like that. Um, w was there a saint or a kind of scripture passage that kind of defined or inspired you sort of thing when you were younger? <coughs> well, I mean, we were from a very, you know, um, working-class family. We mm -hmm. weren't, and there was no, um, like, there was nothing pious mm -hmm. in, in our upbringing, uh, maybe apart from the May altars or something like that. But, I mean... You know, we 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 were brought up to um, go to uh, mass every Sunday and confessions every two weeks, and uh, we were always had our Sunday best, you know, uh, and preserved after mass for the next Sunday. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, um, and so there was just. But as I said, my father was an army man too. Like maybe there was a discipline and all that as well. Um, but it was... Um, so when you ask about a scripture passage, <coughs> um, 
like there was nothing in growing up with mm -hmm. like it was just our prayers mm -hmm. uh that we would have prayed and we would have known and um you know and our prayers to the Hail Mary is probably the prayer that we all <clears throat> you know can relate to uh as I just even alluded there to May altars like our lady was seemed i obviously was uh very um real for us in growing up um and uh, probably that came from you know my mother um uh who uh probably prayed to our lady and as a woman to a woman um and uh then you know like i mean so there's no there's no real scripture passage mm -hmm. uh i can say from going back mm -hmm. into my childhood days um and you know even though i would have gone to mass and every sunday and listened to the scripture i don't know if i even heard them that's again you know i mean mm. um and you know in those days like we we were we were just meant to be there and you were meant to be quiet and meant to be good and behave yourself and um it wasn't a case of uh there was going to be an exam afterwards and then like preparing for first holy communion or confirmation like that was kind of, you know, question and answer scenario. Uh, and um, so it's, it's just, um, I, what I'm going to say is like, I know now what you're asking me and I know now, and I, I, there's, there's, there's many, many scripture passages that could possibly come to mind given various situations mm -hmm. um and but there's a scripture passage and i i can't give you the quote but i just it's it's where uh the f uh four friends are carrying uh, a paralytic on the, str on the stretcher <clears throat> to bring to the lord they, they their friend gets cured and i love that I, do, I ever since i took a reflection on that i find it's very human and I find it's um what I in in the in the our day and age where we're living in at the moment and um where information and technology is there and everything is instantaneous. I don't think people are processing things like they take I think I think we take things uh, at face value too quickly now. Um but what I like about that image and that passage is that your four friends carrying their friend on a stretcher, bringing to the Lord to see for the Lord to cure, and the Lord never asked them, "Have they gone to confessions? What religion are they?" Who, like there was no judgment; it was just um, the acknowledge the witness of the, the 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 love and the loyalty of these four friends that they care for this person to bring them carry him. He the Lord, this person is cured and it also then speaks volumes to me about our need to carry each other and our need to pray bring bring each other to me it's the intercession mm -hmm. the prayer of intercession is is it's an example of that for me excellent um so your vocation itself where has it taken you throughout your life <clears throat> well um where has it taken me? I suppose it, 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 in one sense, 
going back to when I was ordained and, and um, you know, there was uh, a very, um, like, society was, was, was probably opening up a bit more in the, in broadening out a bit more and Ireland certainly was beginning to uh, expand its um, horizons and as uh, you know, being part of the EU and all EEC and EU and all that, uh, it, that brought a lot of uh, prosperity and development, and therefore prosperity and development, you know, can uh, change people's um, in in ways they're not even maybe aware of, um, and uh, then other young generations are coming up, and they've just known that this is, they've only known this. Uh, what they've grown up in um i th i just find that uh as a priest it brought me into places into people's lives maybe first of all um uh because people i don't know what it was but like i mean it just um, it, i seem to be as a priest, I seem to be freer to kind of uh, engage with people and meet with people, or people uh, could come and engage with me and meet with me. Um, but I'm sure on the other side, maybe there was also areas where as a priest, because I was a priest, I wasn't engaged with, you know, um, and, I, and, and I acknowledge that too. But that's just about... Uh, where it brings me into, insofar as it brings you into people's lives mm -hmm. um, that you probably wouldn't have any entry into on, uh, uh, without being not just a priest, but without being a person of faith. Mm -hmm. um, but geographically, mm -hmm. then it brought me to other places, like as I said, uh, to Malawi and. <coughs> I could spend all day talking to you about that <laughs> because um, I can always remember arriving in Malawi in September 1989 and coming off that plane and the first thing that hits you is, um, you know, the, the, the heat, the smells of the heat, the earth. Uh, there was so much just hit you as you come out, mm -hmm. out down off that plane um, and my first few months there was uh, struggling with the language yeah. um, again I've already alluded academics mm. you know uh, was always kind of uh, something I was I would worry about mm -hmm. uh, and because I never f I, I just I think I learned from life itself rather than from books. And um, I found that the academics of uh, trying to learn a language. But I, I, I eventually I got there, I'm very happy to say. And uh, that was because you sit and you engage with people who don't have English, who, who you know, and you have to learn. And you do. And it, it did come about. Um, but what I was going to say is that um, for the three months, um, September, October, November, December, I was very homesick. 
mm-hmm. uh, and kind of very shocked with the poverty that I, that I, that was around me. Um, and um, I remember seeing photographs of uh, Ireland in the famine days, and mm-hmm. you know the poverty that those images uh, showed was were very real. Um, and yet I felt we've moved on. Yeah, you know, but like here I am now, nineteen eighty nine, and and uh, like this is, uh, di- I just couldn't believe what I was witnessing. Yeah, um, you hear about it, you read about it, you see it uh, on TV and all that, but like when you're actually in the middle of it, uh, and uh, it was it was something else, and I I remember um. I was also feeling very homesick too, um, and uh, you know, hoping they were all okay at home, uh, because saying goodbye wasn't, you know, without the tears and whatever else it was. Um, but once you're kind of on the plane and you you get there, you you just again trust that they'll be fine, uh, and time helps adjust. Mm-hmm. those scenarios so they're, they're, things were fine mm-hmm. but um, I always like to tell the story that I can actually tell you the date I settled in Malawi mm-hmm. and that was the 25th of December 1989 mm-hmm. and I was amazed me that I can actually pinpoint when I settled into Malawi um, we had mass uh, for the for Easter uh, or for Christmas, sorry. And after the mass, um, a young uh, a person, this young man, came to me uh, with three eggs, uh, with a bit of sawdust in a in a in a in a plastic bag, and uh, this was my Christmas gift, you know, from the parish. And I was uh, number one. I wasn't expecting gifts, uh, and then, but it was just. It was just very humbling experience when you think of all what we do at Christmas with wrappings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, when you think of all, and here was, and this was a big thing to be giving me three eggs. And I kind of just, if you like to word, use the word, cop myself on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, we that evening then we were the few the Katigan priests who were in that diocese uh, in um Chikwawa in Malawi. Um we were meeting up that evening for Christmas um uh, in one of the parishes and in the drive to that uh parish I could see everybody was back out in the gardens uh weeding and um looking after the garden, which was vital to them mm-hmm. for the maize crop. And yeah. uh, there was no rest. You had to, you know, uh, you had to, they had to be out there doing it. And um, so, you know, the birth of Christ took on a, a, a very real meaning for me, probably more than any other time in my life uh, about, um, you know, how we celebrated mm-hmm. um and uh anyway all i'm saying is it was that like i 
I settled into Malawi mm -hmm. that day and that drive down to parish after being uh, grounded with these three eggs as a gift and um, and Malau there was loads of trials and tribulations but there was loads of absolutely loads of joys and celebrations and uh, Malawi is called the warm heart of Africa and it's nothing to do with the sun mm -hmm. it's to do with the people mm -hmm. and people were absolutely are i mean i still keep in touch with with some of them mm -hmm. and did they um did they make you feel welcome from day one oh absolutely yeah, yeah. <coughs> i just probably didn't understand it because of the language mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know um but uh oh no from day one they were um they were very good and how, how long did you spend in malawi well i left there uh in when did I leave? I, I left there in March 2008. Okay. Yeah. So 19 years? Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. And was that the only place you were, you, you lived in mission? Yeah. 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 Um, just in terms of, you are saying like about the trials and tribulations and obviously the joys and celebrations, could you give us a, a, a few examples of both? Like is there anything that stands out in terms of Something that was really challenging, something that was a real success story, a really joyous. Well, I I suppose one of the things I would say probably is that um, there's so many there there are many many different. That's why I'm saying to you that like we could go on for hours, <laughs> and you get me talking, get me started. <laughs> but the some of the 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 challenges uh, can also be joys as well. Sure. in acknowledging or being able to say thank god i was there you know um and i say something like we you know the whole aids uh hiv uh, and the aids pandemic was muted like it was it was going on but no like malawi was a very um a dictator kind of controlled country and so we weren't no one was allowed to say anything negative and um so to the idea that you would suggest that there was uh, an issue with hiv and aids in malawi uh, was to be negative and therefore we were it was silenced but it, it like the bishops the catholic bishops brought out a pastoral letter um and uh I'd have to kind of get my my dates right, but I think it was nineteen ninety two, um, and uh, they that changed the whole uh, structure of things in Malawi. Mm -hmm. um, without again, it had its trials and tribulations uh, in 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 the process as well. But the one of the thing like. I'm 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 rambling a little bit maybe when no, I say something okay. I'm I'm bringing in, I'm I'm acknowledging you know the difficulty uh, and yet the uh, you know the it was great to be there mm -hmm. in all of that uh, to be able to kind of uh, set up uh, workshops and um, you know try and help people through uh, visuals and through drama you know you are dealing with a lot of people who were like in the rural areas where we lived 
where they wouldn't have educated, they weren't like they weren't very well educated, if any at all, and uh, certainly the adults. So, but every but still, having said that, like I mean, you know, they would they were very drama was a great medium for um, uh, getting a message across, <coughs> and um, so that people were uh, we we would have set up a lot of we would have done a lot of work on that, uh, and I was. I was very grateful to be uh, there mm -hmm. to help with that scenario. Um, even to help people. I remember being called out for a sick call. Uh, and, um, you know, there was this young man and he was he was dying. Uh, and he was in his mother. And I just have the image of the Pieta where the mother and son holding uh, the crucified Lord uh, who came from the cross. And because no, no one else was holding, no, everybody was sitting apart and everybody was crying and praying and whatever. But like the mam was holding her son <clears throat> and I anointed this uh, man, young man. And um, then uh, when I finished and I came away back to the parish, then this young man's older brother um who was uh an educated man uh unlike his brother his, his young brother who was dying um and he was concerned for me mm -hmm. because uh, nobody would admit to kind of the hiv or uh, aids situation but he was basically quietly saying to me he thinks that his brother has AIDS and therefore now that I've touched him um, and uh, he was worried for me and I said what about your mother like your mother was holding him there like why aren't you worried about your mother but he was it was it was more about um, the whole t the whole thing was I'm talking to an educated man and so it was about trying to get getting him to understand mm -hmm science say yeah. and um to believe in that to believe in that and therefore for him to kind of help the others see that too yeah um so a little thing like that but there's an image i will always there like that's that's the whole day and it was a huge um it was a huge uh situation to be um involved in and part of and i'm grateful I, when I say I'm grateful, I'm grateful for being, if you like, I, I, in the in the right place at the right time, mm -hmm. and um, but there was a year, around that time also in uh, nineteen. When I see that was around that same time, nineteen ninety two, there was a fierce famine in in Malawi, a hunger situation, and um, <clears throat> and then there was cholera. There was all kinds of. And I was way down in the valley, and um, and I remember there was this lady, an old woman. Well, she seemed old, uh, may not have been, but um, she was an old woman uh, to me. And she was going past the entrance of the mission, and she had um, she had a child in front strapped on front and a child strapped on her back and there was a, a, a little girl 
with her and she had a child strapped in her front and a child strapped on her back. And then there was another little child uh, walking, but they were very thin. Oh, this is going to get me going. They were very thin. And I just was, I was, I just, the sight was, un, I couldn't believe it. Uh, and I went out, we went out to meet them. And uh turned out that basically there were two sets of twins. And their parents had both died as a result of the HIV and AIDS mm. pandemic. And this was now the grandmother. Mm. And she was ha she now had uh, five children to look after, all infants. Mm -hmm. And this young girl, I don't know who the little girl was, but she was kind of obviously related, but she was now suddenly, like she couldn't have been anything more than maybe six or seven. Right. But she was suddenly roped into helping uh, this woman. Anyway, <coughs> We brought them into the mission, and we brought them in, and we, we the children were. We, I got the catechists and a few of the community to come in, and the children were cleaned up, and we actually happened to have bales of secondhand clothes to distribute, mm -hmm. and in the bales were uh, baby grows and stuff like that. So we were able to. It was amazing just to wash these children and to draw and to clothe them and uh, to give them a little bit of dignity um, and we were able to kind of food was scarce but we had our own uh, pala porridge mm -hmm. um, that uh, we made ground uh, beans um, soya uh, made like we had, we were, it was a, a, a very a nutritionist por a nutritional porridge mm -hmm. Uh, for uh, malnourished children, and we were we we were able to get the ingredients ourselves and get them milled and have our own supply, mm. and so we kept them there to feed them up and to feed the grandmother up because, you know, she she was very weak looking herself, mm. and um, eventually, you know, through their own culture and all that, then they they like. They did kind of, um, it did help, is what I'm saying. But inevitably, uh, unfortunately, um, the children died fairly quick. One out, and it was because they were infected as well mm -hmm. with the HIV and AIDS is issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like in, in no time they were all gone, died. Yeah. Um, but... It's 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 just yeah it's one of those moments that stays with me that um, it was great to be there, mm -hmm. um, you know. Listen, we're all on the on the road. I believe this in my faith. We're all on the road, we're all to to uh, to be with the Lord, um, and you know if if I believe that myself, then. Uh, you know, I believe there. That's where they are now, and I think of them and many others, mm -hmm. whom, because uh, the mortality rate was very high, mm -hmm. and so I would have seen a lot of people, um, die. Yeah. And uh, you know, you think of them and you pray to them as the communion of saints. So that's just yeah, that's I don't know what was what question again. no no he answered he answered it really really well I, i'm just thinking as well like 
obviously you guys are there to provide a lot of um you know spiritual support obviously as well what sort of um material support were yeah. the Kotekans involved yeah. in, in well it's funny actually you say that because you know it's it's a bit like um one of the things I remember when I arrived so as I was saying at the beginning when I arrived in Malawi uh I would have said you know there's nothing there is no book there is no workshop there's nothing could prepare you for what you find when you land out there mm -hmm. it's you know and you can get all the advice from any but everybody's individual and everybody's different and everybody will uh, react or tr take it take it on board differently um and so like yeah i'm trying to go back to the question again so just in terms of the kind of material, the material that yeah. the Kiltegans provided? Like, when I say, yeah, that there's a lot uh, of, um, there's nothing, anything can prepare you or anything like that. There's also the side, the fact that there is a fact that you find yourself involved in projects and programs that in your wildest dream, you'd never think. Mm -hmm you're capable of and it kind of go back to what I said earlier on too like uh, I believe like the Lord isn't going to ask me to do something I'm not capable of doing um, and that's how, that's very simplistic I know but I'm just saying it, it's it's for my own self mm. I, I say that um, and so yeah to be involved to find yourself like to be involved in building projects to be involved in uh, feeding programs to be involved in water projects to be involved in tree planting projects you know it was mm -hmm. funny because when I say that even it, there was I was down one time in uh, a place in Cholo buying a whole load of fruit trees we were going to plant give out to the because people would protect fruit trees because they will give fruit mm -hmm. uh, rather than cut them down so we we had we decided myself and another priest decided we would do this and i went down to pick up all these fruit trees and i like gardening myself mm -hmm. and it's and then it is, it's a research center where they, they do they also were trying different varieties whatever and anyway i said to the chap um by the way do you do apple trees here and he said, I know. And I said, you hesitated too long to answer me, so you must have them. And he says, oh, yeah, we do, but they're for research. And I said, that's all I wanted for two is to know will it grow, will it not grow. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up getting three apple trees off them uh, to plant in our garden, and, and it did grow, and we did get apples off them. But I'm just saying, um, it... it it, it the different pro like the building programs uh like would have been things like um help certainly outstation mission churches mm -hmm. um catechist houses uh schools uh school blocks and teachers houses mm -hmm. um and uh, you know but always with the community that they had to have a contribution as well and that would usually be in the form of labor um and 
but always a case of the knee it, like that there was a need there for it rather than just deciding you're going in to do this um the need came from the community and community is a very important aspect in my in my vocabulary in my in my life mm-hmm. um and uh water programs were always um uh, you know something listen we take it for granted here uh that we can just turn on a tap and um and yet you know, you're talking about uh, the millions and that are living on the continent of Africa, which is in a ginormous continent. Uh, and I'm just talking about in Malawi, where at the time, I think it was around 11 million uh, people living in Malawi. But it was a small, mm-hmm. narrow strip of a country and um, densely populated and uh, it you know and and so sanitation and was an issue and then the water uh, that created its own problems for the water so like boreholes and wells were very important if we could get them but you know uh, yeah we, we there were frustration at a, a lot uh, a, a lot of the time maybe in uh because so many will be using it like before you know it you're having to get someone in to do for maintenance yeah there's a whole load of things but like that's no one's fault that's just the fact that everybody needs water and everybody wants clean water otherwise uh you end up in a whole medical scenario then because people are drinking bad water um but other thing like even just to help you know even just to help buy an ambulance and then I say an ambulance, it's not like our ambulances here we have in this part of the world. You know, it's mm. a pickup with a, with, with a canopy put on top. Uh, and it's about bring, being able to transport people from, uh, you know, a very remote rural area into the nearest uh, clinic or hospital. Um, and uh, it's about trying to save lives, especially for um, pregnant women who are, who maybe there's a complication and they have to be brought in then to from the rural clinic into the main hospital and uh, like many times i would have been called to help to drive somebody in and uh you know and like us men have no idea i know about you know, about you know the pangs of childbirth but like to be in the back of a pickup going through those roads and everything like that i don't yeah. know how but thank god there's always there there there's been success stories in that. Um the yeah, so I, like all of that I'm saying is is something I never in my life would have thought I would be involved in. Um in 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 projects and programs such as though as those and there's no ends but I like also even my own love for gardening got to kind of flourish a bit too and like to have my own hens and chickens and I even took on uh, rare and turkeys things I couldn't have done if I was at home mm-hmm. so like that was all part and parcel of being at home in the place where I was living uh, and um, you know it, it yeah so as well as as well as being a, a missionary priest you were a, an ambulance driver and a farmer to boot well, I, I, I would call my, I would describe myself as very much uh, from Dublin City, but very much a country man. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know. Uh, 
and I think that's also part of maybe why I was attracted to Wicklow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it was like you're talking about having the you know cultivating the land stuff. Like that. Was that used to kind of help to feed the people? Did they get the benefits of you know the the produce and things like that? That you'd they would get the benefit of. Well, in one sense, they would teach me. Yeah. You know, because I had to learn from them in mm-hmm. one sense about um, the whole thing of rearing hens or anything. But mm-hmm. the rearing of turkeys was a new thing for them. Uh, and um, just, but even just to have, even just a simple thing of saying the manure is fertilizer, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, uh, using that to kind of for the garden, like for letting them see that there's, you know that there's for for helping people understand like that there is something even though some of them could buy and sell you at the same time with their knowledge yeah. of uh the, the the natural world around them too mm-hmm. um you know but that kind of thing the gardening that kind of thing uh like all you'd be tr- all you'd be doing there would be ne- introducing new new vegetables or new um possibilities mm-hmm. but ultimately maize was their staple and maize was you know they had to, so they weren't like it wasn't a case of growing that people were going to start turning to tr- trying out carrots and stuff like that mm-hmm. um other root vegetables but they they needed to go to but it was probably about uh helping pe- no just kind of showing variety yeah now having said that like at, uh, yeah at the end of the day it it wasn't necessarily about feeding them i mean feeding in a feeding program you're talking about large scale feeding programs and um you know you like mary's meals is a great example if you like you know of but of me having i i, I would have kind of tapped into that idea uh, early on myself in Malawi where in hunger times um, the local co-op that, sell, that was rationing the maize like had no problem selling the maize to the mission because it was going to the schools to feed the children and everybody has children in the school mm-hmm. and it meant the children were coming to school so it's, it is about um, you know being able to be the res- being resourceful mm-hmm. with with what you've got the funds you've got whatever to be able to f- uh, source food and bring it into the mission and we had a system which i think you know i inherited from older missionaries uh, um who were there before of the small basic christian community and it's a brilliant system of you know the village being a small having its own christian community and you know you so you can distribute you you just have to call in and uh, the leaders work out a system and everybody goes back to their community and then they'll work they, they'll carry the system out mm-hmm. uh, and um so like for feeding programs it was usually about like it would be it would be in a time of need and um a lar- it would be very large scale uh, yeah. stuff and um i can remember in uh i think it was well i see now it was 2000 and 2000 and um 
one or two <coughs> when we had again a drought a very severe drought net and we we it was declared uh you know um an emergency in malawi for the food stuff anyway we got like i had funds from kiltegan and from various groups to support uh, our missionary work and um uh to um we had to kind of source the the maize and uh, and get it in uh, in lorry loads and we had um anyway we 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 had, like uh, in in the parish there was about um what was it there was there was about over 100 different communities mm-hmm. and uh through each community we worked out a system of distribution and we there were again there was no no one saying this is only for catholics or anything like that sure. this was for the poorest of the poor the one who if someone has a meal at least one meal a day and their neighbor has no meal a day then you know who you're supposed to give it to mm-hmm. uh, and anyway what i'm going to say at the end of all that when i was leaving that parish <coughs> uh there was a we there was a farewell mass and I was very honoured that there was, uh, at the back of the church was about, then I say there was two rows of people sitting there. So, like, we're talking about maybe, um, you know, certainly a, a dozen chiefs from the different villages. And they were there, not for mass, but they were there for, to say thanks. You know, there was no discrimination. There was no, uh, like, that uh, during that time, a lot of their people would have died if it hadn't been for the mission. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, yeah, I just, I'm not doing it for uh, any, my ego doesn't need to be fed. It's it's the people who need to be fed. And I just found that, uh, yeah, there was a sense of, um, acknowledgement of something uh when i saw these chiefs they didn't have to be there mm-hmm. um and it's an acknowledgement of their faith and their trust in the mission in the missionaries absolutely um being a missionary yourself and having lived and worked with you know fellow missionaries what are the most important qualities or characteristics you feel that a missionary has to possess um well I, I being acknowledging that you're human mm-hmm. uh, but being down to it like uh, being down to it Malawian says it have had, had a great way of saying to you like if you t- if you kind of got above your station that they would say <clears throat> stop trying to be a somebody <laughs> and you know, it it's a great grounding in one in one sense that um and uh you know like I I I can say to I can remember saying to um some my Malawian friends there you know that when they look at me and who I am and where I come from I know. They probably there there there's probably loads that they that I have that they would want, and that's material things. And I say to them, you know, there's something um, you have that I want, and it can't be bought in a shop. 
like it cannot be bought and you know it's just something it's about uh, and i think that's for all of us like coming from certainly from the developed world like to think cert- to think that we we go there to kind of save people is it's not the attitude to go because they'll if you if you if you if you in, if you immerse yourself in it, you've, you'll find yourself being saved, in one sense. And when I say saved, I don't mean, you know, um, about uh, being saved in the sacramental sense or a spiritual sense or anything like that. I'm talking about just in. Uh, I I just think it need, it you 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 have to be a fairly grounded, um, person. Mm-hmm. I. I will always mention community. It's acknowledging um, that you know you're you're living with others, whether they be fellow missionaries or in the in the in the local community. Um, and it's yeah, it's not separating yourself or going off on your own. I mean, um, because. You know, when you're when you're when you're so far from home from the people you've grown up with and the people who know you and very well and all that. I mean, you know, you don't have that. And even if you do find yourself living with a fellow missionary, like we were probably only met when we walked in the door to eat, with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it takes time to kind of uh, get to know one another and is to give each other that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that's what works for me and my fellow missionary, you know, the people themselves have to have that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you've touched on some of these, like in terms of um, positives and negatives of being a missionary. I think maybe one of the negatives you see, even certainly at the start, would be the homesickness aspect. Um, positives, it seems to say that you feel like you're part of a new community and, and you get lots from that. Would that be would that be correct? Well, I mean, it's, you're part of a new community, but uh, just the aspect of community, um, it's uh, that idea of community. Like, because what people ask, well, what is community? What is community? Um, it's, it's, I'm not talking about religious community. I'm talking about the wider community and where we find ourselves living. And um, the, uh, you know, from my growing up days, as I said, from a, a child where we didn't have much, we only had each other. And um, sometimes, like my experience nowadays, would be a little bit like people, um, you know, where the community has almost moved to the virtual world, which is completely different definition of community Um, and uh, so when you're with people um, and they're with you you know it's it's kind of like a circle then it's it's you know there's no there's no beginning or end and and everybody's equal it's not a hierarchical uh, sense of community you know I don't know you would even call a hierarchical thing community Um, but so it is. It's it's that kind of circle where listen, not it, it. There's nothing, um, you know, romantic or idealistic about it or anything like it. Uh, communities will have their difficulties and stuff, but spot. There is a nurturing that goes on. That helps. 
um well certainly i would feel for me it helps me if i if i'm nurtured in 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 a, in a setting i mean uh i'm part of the St. patrick's missionary society Kiltegan fathers right i mean we don't live in each other's pocket but we know they're we're we're they're there we're there for each other uh, and we're a group of individuals who, who who kind of came to join this order but we have a sense of um community no matter where we are in the world i think mm-hmm. and that is uh, that is that comes across in our if you like our our chapter meetings and in our leadership meetings you know it's it, it, it they have those uh meetings for a reason and that is to kind of uh, for the well-being and welfare of the members of the society, and if we are looked after, um, in in that se- in that regard, then we can uh, perform to our best in uh, the other regard and wherever we're planted. Would another positive be perhaps that you were talking about that really humble offering that you got in, in the Christmas day? Um, is it is it? Does being on mission help grow your faith? Beyond the mission, help grow my faith. In, t- in terms of you know, l- small incidents like that that you know yeah. really kind of hit home. Well, I mean, maybe, um, uh, yeah, like it's 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 like anything. I mean, if I was, if I had been, if I was, if I'd never gone the missions and was was based at home, and you know, um. Another ask maybe there would be something else that might have created sure. it I think it's from it's about being uh, open to what your fate is um and I'm open to my fate in simple terms um I don't like complicating my fate with um you know uh getting lost in um in arguments and defences and stuff like that. I just I like to kinda of, I, I, I to come back to what's basic for me and then grow f- and and grow for that from that. Um yeah I It's not. I suppose it's just something. It's not easy for me to answer in the sense that that you're not looking out for some for that growth. Mm, sure. It's it's happening. Yeah. Um. And I'm still here. <laughs> you know. I mean. Um. And then I've been called. I've been asked by my superiors to take on other aspects of uh, what being a missionary is. Yeah. And I'm just and so that's growing like the idea of being the missionary. Uh, has kind of evolved too. Uh is it's not um it's not an address, you know, it's it's a lot bigger than uh me saying I was in Malawi. It's mm-hmm. what I'm like all of us through our baptism, we're all called to be mission and I just like the vocation uh, question. And therefore we, we do profess to be part of an apostolic work um church and um you know so you know, we have this uh, sense that um, there is a there is a, a a lovely saying that I I picked up and I hold on to and I and I say it often. Um, 
and that some um, some give to the missions by going and others go to the missions by giving. So we're, we need each other in order to be able to accomplish what um, the message of service and love is. Mm. Um, and uh, so, you know, I'm here in Scotland now, right? Mm. And I'm going out doing mission appeals. Part, part of my role is to do mission appeals at the weekend. And, uh, and I have been very, very, very nurtured, if you like, by people's response in the, in the, in the churches I've gotten, the parishes I've gone to. And, uh, and I had the same experience when I was in England. Um, but uh, yeah, like so that is, that does highlight for me that we are, you know, acknowledging that. Yeah, some people will say I couldn't do what you do, but I'm happy to support you, you know. And it's it's out of that sense of uh, connectedness mm -hmm. that you know, which is great. Our faith does that. I mean, we're all total strangers otherwise. You know, but um, you know, if I, uh, you know, as Christians, we come, we find each other, and we support each other, and we grow. Um, anyway, fantastic. <laughs> that's really, that's a really fulsome answer. Um, we've spoke about the term vocation, but what does the term mission mean to you? If you were, well, that's what I'm saying there. Like, it wouldn't. It's not. An, it's not. It's, you know, I suppose, like, growing up, it was out there. Yep. Uh, whereas in, you know, maybe for me, because I'd gone out there, mm -hmm. I've realised, well, I mean, in order for me to be out there, there had to be a back here. And it was so, you know, the nurturing that would have gone on in, in order to bring me to be, uh, to being the missionary wasn't done by me it was done by the community i come from so it broadened that my 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 definition it broadened my view on on mission but then you know over the years and maturity and all that i hope you know um it's not about it's not about as i said a location um it's again come back to that word vocation you know it's um but it's just so much broader. So whether I'm, it basically what I what I'd be saying is just because I'm not in Malawi doesn't mean I'm not a missionary. Mm -hmm. I mean, every like everything I do, okay, I'm part of a missionary order, uh, and what I do uh, within that order in 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 what I'm doing now in promotion work and that it's to do with mission. Uh, but equally, you know, if I am, um, you know. Uh, uh, a parent of uh, a child and I'm bringing them up to be uh, uh, to live a certain way um, certainly if I'm bringing them up into in the Christian faith and uh, uh, Christian values and principles you know like I'm doing some I think I'm being mission too um, I think everyone is, that's what I'm saying everyone is has 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 an aspect of mission through their baptism calling
And just in terms of you, you were touching on your order there as well, what's, what's the current situation for the Kilkegan fellas throughout the world? <clears throat> well, we were, we, we were founded in uh, 1932. And, you know, when I joined in 1982, they were celebrating, they were only 50 years old then. Mm-hmm. So it was a very young uh, society and uh, order of priests. And <coughs> um, so we have now, uh, oh, listen, there's, I don't know where to, where to like, we, we, we progressed anyway um, from being just more or less, uh, you know, uh, an Irish society of priests, uh, secular priests who, who um, commit themselves to joining and going out on the missions. Uh, we have uh, f- some priests from um, Scotland join who as part of it so it was never it was never fully an Irish group in mm-hmm. a sense but yet uh, we society had a place here in Buckleivy which um, I think it was 1965 they set it they set it up um, and basically it was an, a, a, a kind of a college mm-hmm. where those who came there those who came to um, who who may feel like later in life that they have a vocation mm-hmm. to the priesthood, but they left school too early. And so this was basically where they could go and uh, bring them up to the standard of education needed in order to go on to do the studies uh, for uh, priesthood. Um, so bring them up to, I think, it would be the A-levels uh, uh, standard, leaving cert standard. Um, and... So we were, so we would be fairly well known in Scotland because of Book Livey, which uh, was great, um, and we were growing as you know uh, through even in even after Pope John Paul uh, II visit, I think there seemed to be an influx too. So we seemed to be growing, and then of course. Um, in part of the Jubilee celebrations that was looking at opening new missions and new territory and stuff. And we opened up uh, a new mission in what is now South Sudan mm-hmm. um, and in um, Zimbabwe and South Africa at that time. So we were uh, expanding, but and then we moved then into becoming uh, an international order um, and that meant a whole change in our constitution and that uh, so we uh, that, that happened um, and it was in the in the 1990s and um, where we began to uh, recruit if you like from um, various African countries mm-hmm. a missionary is where we worked we, we, we stuck we, we didn't we didn't go outside that um area and uh, so now <coughs> uh, our, sh- our all our like all our young men are now african uh missionary priests uh young men from the different places we worked in who joined and who are ordained missionaries for st patrick's missionary society in kiltegan in ireland kiltegan that was the thriving place that i first visited you know uh that attracted me to this um, place it's now 
it's it's now more or less a retirement home. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the college is now a retirement home, and then there's an, an added uh, an extension onto that, which is a care unit for those who need care. And like our guys are are these are people who are in their eighties and nineties now mm-hmm. who have dedicated their whole lives, and uh, so they're looked after there. And then we have our administration. Uh, our some our our leadership some some of our leadership and then the administration block, um, and we have a pastoral centre there that uh, we call it the spiritual centre that's being put to good use uh, for um, people with for workshops on various uh, aspects of addiction or whatever. You sure. know. Now, I'm saying all that, and then so a lot of our. Um, growth is coming from the younger priests who are ordained now out in the missions and you know I, I have to say you know sometimes you go around and you, you're you're doing the appeals or you're meeting people and and people will say to me um, you know but we need you here now you know we're so short of priests like they were saying but because, like, I mean, imagine they having to come from Africa now uh, to uh, minister to us. And I would say, my answer to that would be, I know that just goes to show that the missionaries haven't been idle. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think the fact that we have our uh, brothers and sisters coming from Africa is fruits of the labour of the mission. Absolutely. Um you you probably have seen it firsthand some of the the work and support that you've got from the Pontifical Mission Societies. Why do you think it's important for people to support the work of, of Missio Scotland, obviously the Scottish branch of the Pontifical Mission Societies? Well, I think it's an encouragement for all the different groups. Listen, when you when you're out away f- uh, from home and you come back home, you like to think there's someone there to meet you and support, you know, you, you, uh, that there's someone you can tap into or like your family or whatever, you mm-hmm. mean. And so if there's a group that's there to kind of uh, be a kind of an umbrella for the, o- to the other groups to be able to kind of um, support them and... Uh, see if there anything that they can do or uh, help uh, them or their communities uh, uh, abroad has to be kind of um, again I love that word nurturing has to be uh, encouraged and, and, and nurtured and again it's about acknowledging that mission isn't about being out there, away. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, where you're rooted at yourself. So yeah, I just find that anything to do with um, tapping into uh, a support group, and I'm not just talking about funding even or anything like that, I'm just talking about, you know, obviously there's funding needed for that group, but at the same time I'm talking about me, what we're doing now. I mean, we're not tapping in. It doesn't need. We're not tapping into funding. We're not sitting mm-hmm. here looking, but but we're tapping into something that um, is there uh, for both of us. 
um, and it's like any relationship, I suppose, you know, uh, to, there is no relationship unless there's at least one or two, unless there's two or three or whatever. And that again builds up to community. I'm going to start going on about community again. No, but I'm just saying it is that, um, there's, it's, it's, a, it's important. I think if you, you might not realize how important it is until you're in the situation yourself, mm -hmm. you know, and I would, that's what I'm saying. Like if you come in from an airport and there's no one there to meet you, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, um, but the fact that there is somebody there to tap into the experience, to help you talk about, to, to share the experience uh, and then for other people to know, um, where your funds are going or whatever, you know, like where your support is going and, and the importance of it. Um, it's like, you know, when I went, to, when I, again, go, going back to Malawi, I had that sense that I, I went into a parish that had been built up by uh, a, a group of priests from long way back. And I remember thinking to myself, my, you know, sometimes we don't, we don't see the fruits of our labor until we moved on mm -hmm. and um, so I would be there in the parish and saying you know I'm enjoying the fruits of someone else's labour they built up a lot of this structure and stuff like that and I come in and I uh, continue and to help it evolve and I suppose you know uh, Missio or any group like yourselves will be a bit like that that you come in um, uh, you know you you harness the from the fruits of the labor of those who've gone before you but it's good that there's a group there to kind of uh, help you in that area but also to support you in in other areas then in, in in other areas, meaning maybe there's, you may be someone like yourselves, Missio, have learned that there's a project that could be needed to be funded, uh, and so they're find someone's finding difficulty getting into that. You know, well then, you have boots on the ground to be able to maybe find someone to reach out to that community far away. Fantastic. We just we'll finish on a wee light-hearted note, um, as as we usually do on the podcast. Where I asked the Not guest. This was already light-hearted. <laughs> <laughs> I've enjoyed telling you. Uh, so I, I usually ask our guests if um, there's something that they could tell our audience about themselves that they might not know, like. Do you have a hidden All Island medal somewhere? Do you have a special talent or a gift that other people don't know about? Um. Well, it depends who's listening to this because somebody would say, sure, I know that already about them. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I like gardening, I said, I mm -hmm. said right? Uh, but I like cooking and baking. Right. And I suppose it's not a hidden talent, really, because uh, I like to share it. Yeah. And there's no point in having it unless you, you share it. And... Um, so, yeah, I, like when I was on when I was out in Malawi, 
we didn't have all the choices we have here. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, we didn't, even if you did have a freezer, it probably, the electricity was not long enough for it to work. So I learned a lot about preservatives. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have done a lot of, I would have cooked a lot of things like chutneys and marmalades and jams and stuff because all the stuff that was there, um, you know, were like you, you the, like the eggs, you were given gifts. Mm -hmm. And sure, you've all these tomatoes, you've all these um, mangoes, you've all the, and like if you don't use them, they will rot. Um, and not that, I mean, you could distribute them anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but usually when you got them, it was because they were already plentiful. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, like because of my uh, cooking, in interest in cooking and that um I I I took it and I and I still kind of do it a bit now. I mean I, I don't waste stuff. I mean if if there's something in the fridge uh, that needs to go that someone else might just say, Oh that's gone past the sell by date and just like I'll make a soup out of it. You know um so I don't know I think why I'm saying that. I think I'm just saying that is, it's, it's, it's something you're able to share uh, to nurture someone in a different way in feeding them, whatever. Like, so hospitality would be a big thing. Yeah. I, um, certainly for our priests and the missions and that so far away. And I will, I do know, like I mean, that they like to come to the, my mission because they got fed. <laughs> And there's a young man out there who I trained as a cook. And even just recently, one of our priests has come back from visiting Malawi and was telling me Chumeme was, uh, is definitely considered one of the best mission cooks uh, in Malawi. And like he's been, he's been uh, the, the cook for, the, for us, for, I suppose, well, let's say, well, it's, yeah, about 25, 30 years. Wow. <coughs> you know, so yeah, I like cooking and um, sharing it here. Like, even in Kiltegan, if you, if you were to ask any of them in Kiltegan, when I was, I was there in Kiltegan, um, you know, just after the pandemic, around for a year, and uh, and I was, uh, I was cooking and baking, and even though they had their own cooking, that, and, uh, uh, you know, kitchen, um, you know, and, but I did not. I read a, I had an audience willing to eat it. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> which was great. Uh, here I'm on my own at the moment, so I don't really do that too, too much of it, except feed myself. <laughs> Father Pat, thanks very much for being so generous with your time uh, and speaking to us in the podcast today. Thanks very much. No, it's lovely to meet you, and thank you uh, for asking and inviting. And uh, I wish you well. Listen, I wish miss you well too. Um, and thank them for all their um, their support and continued support that goes on. Thank you. Thanks. Missio Scotland is a Scottish branch of the Pontifical Mission Societies, the Pope's official charity for overseas mission. To learn more about the work of Missio Scotland, you can visit our website 
www.missyoscotland.com. You can like us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash missyoscotland. You can also follow us on Twitter, missio underscore Scotland, and on Instagram, missio Scotland. If you would like to donate to Missio Scotland, visit www.missioscotland.com slash donate. You can also call us on 01236 449 774 or send donations to Missio Scotland, 4 Laird Street, Coatbridge, ML5 3LJ. Please keep us in your prayers. Thank you and God bless. <laughs>